take your Bibles this morning to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 6. Now, we began a series uh, two weeks ago, I guess this is the third week now, called Family Matters. We're talking about what matters, and God said it was the family. But we come today to Family Matters. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll read just a few verses to kind of launch the sermon, and then we'll cover really the entire chapter and some of the next. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Now several weeks ago we began this series, and we talked first about the institution of the family. God designed the family in Genesis chapter 1, and He gave us insight into the family in Genesis chapter 2, that the institution of the family was God's plan, and it was His design. It's not ours to do with it whatever we want. We can't say, well, this family model might be better. If we change this about the family, we can make an improvement upon it. God made it on purpose for a purpose. And that is the institution of the family. And last week we spoke about the infrastructure of the family. How the parts, the moving parts of the family fit together. We spoke about the foundation of the family. And the framework of the family. And how a good, flexible framework helps solve a lot of the problems when the winds of adversity blow against our families. And so we've talked about the institution, the infrastructure, and now this week we come to the intention of the family. In other words, this is the function of it. What is the purpose? What is it designed to do? And how do we accomplish that? Now again, if you return back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, you don't have to turn there. The Bible tells us that God created man and woman in His image. And we all agree on that passage. We even talked about that last week. What it is to be made in the image of God. That means that we are created unique amongst all creation, different than everything else. We are a physical being, meaning we have flesh, we have body, we have blood. And, and the things that we see is the physical aspects of our natures through our body that we uh, sense pain and we uh, see danger. And, and all the senses that we speak about in the natural realm, those are the fleshly things of man. We have a physical body. We also have a soulful presence. A soulful presence. That is the mind. That is the intellect. That is the emotions. That is what makes you uniquely you. You have different thoughts than maybe the person seated next to you. You can perceive one thing and you can uh, 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 view it entirely different than another person. For instance, if you look at roller coasters, some people say, no way, Jose. And other people are like, yeah, let's do it. You perceive that differently. And the way that you perceive that makes you uniquely you. And that is the sole aspect of you. 
It's your mind and your emotions. And then God created us unique in that we are spiritual beings as well. And it's in this aspect that God made us different than everything else in creation. He designed us to desire fellowship with Him. We even spoke about how our relationships all in some way sort of point us to our desire and our need for a relationship with God. These aspects of us, these are the the characteristics that desire worship and love praise and, 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 and want to know God. And you say, well, Brother Andrew, I don't really have a great desire to know God. Well, that's because your sin nature has killed that side of you. In fact, that's why the Bible says we are dead in trespasses and sins. The spiritual man, because of your sin nature, needs to be awakened. It needs to be, as John 3 puts it, born again. It needs to be revived, made anew, and it is through a relationship with Jesus Christ, by accepting Him as our Savior, that we are born and this spiritual side of us is made alive. And it doesn't matter if you've been saved a month or ten years. If you are a child of God, you ought to have a desire to know Him, to live for Him, to love Him, and to experience His love in your life. And it is in this sense, the physical aspect, the soulful aspect, and the spiritual aspect of man, that you are God's image bearer. God designed man to be a whole bunch of little image bearers running around. You have the image of Almighty God. And it is through you that you will reflect His glory to the world as you bear His image to the world. See, you're His image bearer. And He told Adam and Eve. Now, the, the, the aspects of our design, our, our unique design being made in His image are Genesis one twenty six and 27. You know what Genesis one twenty eight says? And God blessed them and God said unto them... Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So here's what God said. I'm going to make Adam and Eve in my image. A triune being, being made of soul and spirit and of flesh. They're going to be my image bearers to the world. And here's what I want them to do. I want them to go have a bunch of little image bearers to bear my image to the world. Sometimes if you come up here during the week at the church offices, we've got a whole bunch of little image bearers crawling all over the floor. Miss Jamie's baby and Miss Amanda's baby and sometimes my babies, but mine are the ones hanging from the chandeliers. <laughs> but we are developing, we are obeying God's command in, 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 in having image bearers and being fruitful and multiplying and that is one of the main purposes of the home to conceive and to raise up children that honor God that is so important you want to know what the most neglected book in all the world is now in the back of your mind you may be saying the Bible that is not the most neglected book in all the world The most neglected book in all the world is the owner's manual in your dash. (laughs) 
Raise your hand if you've read the owner's manual in your car cover to cover. Okay, four of us. Raise your hand if you've ever read your Bible. Raise your hand. All right, all of us. It ain't the Bible. The owner's manual in your car is the most neglected book in all the world. And the way we utilize it is different than the way it was intended to be used. See, the manufacturer made that for the owner to read and know how to maintain and care for their vehicle. In that book, you'll find all sorts of information. You'll find what type of fuel your car uses, what type of oil it uses, how often that oil needs to be replaced. You'll probably even have a diagram of maybe where the fuse box is or how the fuse box is even laid out. It'll even have in there what those lights that have been on in your dash panel for years and years and years, it'll tell you what those mean. It's not an accomplishment every time one of those lights up. It's not like, now the 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 mile. It's not, it's not accomplishments. It's not an arcade. Those are not good. And so that book tells you how to maintain and care for your car. Now here's what we do in the way we use it most of the time. When a fuse blows, when a light comes on, or when something starts to make a sound the car has not made before, that's when we consult the owner's manual. The owner's manual is not a mechanic's guidebook. The owner's manual is for you to prevent failure, not for the mechanic to fix broken parts. Today, what the Bible has for us is it has a way to maintain our homes so that we don't have to fix them later on. I'm so thankful, though, that God's Word not only teaches us how to set out on the right track, it also teaches us how to get back on the rails if we ever need to. And so God's Word today has for us Four very essential uh, 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 parts to creating an intentional home. Number one, notice with me, a schooling place. Your home is to be a schooling place. It is an institution. Remember, that was week one. It is an institution of education. If you ever go to the Apple store, they offer an educational discount. You say, yeah, uh, we, uh, we ought to get that. Our home is an educational institution. Sometimes it's the school of hard knocks, but it is an educational institution. Notice with me in verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Notice, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. You see, God here has said, I want you to teach your children these laws, these commandments, these guides that I have given you, you are to teach them to your children. Now, Jesus was asked what the great and first commandment of the law was. 
Interestingly enough, Jesus did not quote one of the Ten Commandments. You, you, you say, what do you mean? I mean, when they asked him what the first and most important law of God was, he did not say, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. He didn't say that, though. In fact, what he said was, he quoted this passage of Scripture. This one. This is the first and great commandment. To love the Lord thy God, because He is one Lord, and He is to be loved with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. Now what's interesting is, this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4, and 5, is what's known in Hebrew Judaism as the Shema. The Shema. That word means to hear. In fact, that where it comes from is verse number 4. Hear, O Israel. Shema. Hear, O Israel. You say, why are you teaching me about Jewish custom? Because this is the singular most important passage in all of Hebrew religion. This is the first prayer a child learns. Every morning when the Jew wakes up, he recites this passage of Scripture as soon as he wakes up and right before he goes to bed, twice a day, they quote the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is their John 3.16. You say, why do I bring all this up? Because that is how much they value this, this passage. That is how much they value what takes place here. The concept of teaching your children that there is one God and He is to be loved and feared, that is the idea behind this passage. And that ought to be what's taught in our homes. That there is one God and any life lived not for Him is a wasted life indeed. Teach our children what it is to live for God and to fear God and to love God. This is so important, not only for the Jews, but also for us. Verse number 7 says, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Listen, it is not the schoolhouse or the church house's responsibility to teach your children to love God. It is not their responsibility to teach them to fear God. You say, well, what am I paying Joshua Christian Academy tuition fees? I don't know. Because we teach the Bible down there, but it is not our responsibility to teach your child to love God. That is your responsibility. It is up to you to teach them to love the Lord. Yet in our culture, in our society, there has been an uh, ever-evolving process away from the commandments of God, from acknowledging God at all. In 1980, there was a Supreme Court case brought before the Supreme Court called Stone v. Graham. It had to deal with uh, the, uh, a, a basically restriction or a mandate that said that in every classroom in Kentucky, there had to be the Ten Commandments posted on the wall. And they took this to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled that it was unconstitutional, though those Ten Commandments was, uh, were, po- uh, were purchased with private funds, it was unconstitutional for them to mandate their posting in the classroom. 
They said that uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the court ruled that because they were placed in public classrooms, they were in violation of the First Amendment. Now, I like this. In his dissent, Justice William Rehnquist stated that since religion has been closely identified with our history and government, one can hardly respect the system of education that would leave the student wholly ignorant of the currents of religious thought. He says, how can you teach history and not teach the history that founded the nation? I kind of like what he said there. But this has been evolving. That just happened to be the first case. In 2005, there were many cases brought before the Supreme Court uh, regarding the posting of the Ten Commandments, whether in monuments or upon the walls of courtrooms. The Supreme Court waffled back and forth, sometimes voting 5-4 against, sometimes voting 5-4-4, depending on the case. One such case was a six-foot granite display of the Ten Commandments at the Capitol building in Austin. They ruled that 5-4 again, that it was not unconstitutional to display them in this setting. Despite the, uh, the, the ruling, one of the dissenting justices, John Paul Stevens, argued that the display was an improper government endorsement of religions. Stevens noted in a large letters that the monument proclaims, I am the Lord thy God. He went on to say this, The monument is not a work of art and does not refer to any event in the history of the state. The message transmitted by Texas Chosen to display is quite plain. The state endorses the divine code of the Judeo-Christian God. And to that I say, God bless Texas. Yet this is a, a cultural trend of, uh, of public institutions, of governmental institutions, moving away from the Ten Commandments, from God's law, and frankly, any acknowledgement of God at all. But I've got news for you. We bellyache and we complain about that, and albeit I wish it were not that way, but it is not the government's job to teach your children about God. Amen. I've heard for years people complaining that we ought to have Ten Commandments over every courtroom bench in the, in the United States of America. That's fine. Let me ask the same people that, ask that, that, that make that statement. Let me ask them a question. Where exactly are the Ten Commandments posted in your home? We line the halls and the walls of our homes with all sorts of stuff. We kill a big deer, we want to put it on the wall. We get a new Joanna Gaines side piece. It's just basically... I, I love her get-rich-quick scheme. We'll take old wood from barns. We'll write in calligraphy on painted letters the word blessed and sell it for $75. And they're selling out of these things. And yet we put the word blessed on our walls and we put our deer heads on the walls. Let me ask you, where is God's law in your home? And this is not a literal situation. Hey, if you want to put it on the walls of your home, that's great. I think that's a good thing to do. But what God is saying in His Word is here, the centerpiece of your home ought to be a relationship with God. An acknowledgement that He is one Lord and that He is to be feared and loved. 
Look, parents, if, if your child grows up to not love the Lord, it's not a failure of the youth pastor. It's not a failure of their PE teacher. It is a failure on you. Because your home is to be a schooling place. But not only is it to be a schooling place, it is to be a satisfied place. Notice in verse number 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him and shalt swear by His name. Imagine this word coming to a bunch of Jews that have been wandering the wilderness now for 40 years. Their daily routine was to wake up and go out and collect manna. It's been pretty much a, a, a redundant type of life. Every single day doing the exact same thing. And now Moses tells them in his parting words, Hey, when you go into the promised land, which your God promised your fathers, you're going to go in there and you're going to have houses that you didn't build. And you're going to have vineyards that you didn't plant. And you're going to have all these wells that you didn't dig. When you go through there, you remember who it is that got you where you are. And the idea that the fathers were to teach this to their children is so imperative here. Because the blessings of one generation often become the curse of the next. The prosperity and the affluence that this generation would experience, they all remember where they've come from. The next generation will forget it. And the Word says here, Beware. Lest thou forget the Lord. When you're enjoying all the benefits that He's provided, do not forget God. How do we not forget the Lord and all the blessings that we have today? Constantly, in every moment, in every situation, be thankful to Him. Listen, be audibly and visibly thankful in front of your children to God for the blessings you have. Tell them where they come from. Whatever we have, it is not of our doing. This is of the Lord's doing. Tell them where these things come from. If you want to teach your kids about Santa Claus, fine. But somewhere in there, you better tell them that Santa Claus gets it from the Almighty. And that the elves are using material that the Almighty gave them. Teach your children to be thankful to God. Giving thanks always for all things unto God. Colossians chapter 2, abounding therein with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, in everything give thanks. You know what I've noticed? So long as you keep counting your blessings, you'll not have time to account for your wantings. The more you consider all that you have, you'll have less time to think about all that you want. I have to tell you, and I'll just have a bit of a time of transparency here. This last week, I got onto my eBay account. And I, on the search history there, I saw all the things that I've been searching for. Hunting supplies and so forth. And yet I noticed some new searches there that had not been there before. 
Certainly ones that I did not make, and I suspect not ones that my wife made. Because here it was, it said, Pokemon stuff. Pokemon stuff. Nothing specific, just stuff. Anything with Pokemon on it, that'll do. Pokemon stuff. Four different searches of similar fashion. Pokemon stuff and and, uh, uh, Minecraft stuff. And I just wonder if maybe I am not guilty of cultivating in my children the heart that says, I know I have a lot, but I just don't have enough. What's more alarming is my children make these searches sitting in a house that we literally are tripping over their toys they're no longer playing with. And you say, well, that's good they have all those toys. Look, I'm not up here to critique whether or not what number of toys they have. My point is, they have so much and yet they're searching for more. You know what? We as Christians are taught to be content with such things as we have. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. Whether I am abounding or whether I am abased, I'm going to be content. And he says these words, For I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. His contentment was based in his relationship with God. We are to be content with such things as we have, for He hath promised He will never leave us nor forsake us. The reason so many Christians are constantly looking to fill the desires of their heart is because they're not going to the one place that can truly satisfy the desires of their heart. They keep on putting it in the garbage disposal of junk and all the while neglect to realize that God gives something that lasts and something that truly fulfills. And I wonder if I am not guilty of creating in my children's heart the concept of always looking for something more. We've got to fix it. We've got to fix it. We've got to realize where we've gone wrong. We've got to realize where we ourselves have made errors. When every day we come home and there's Amazon packages on the front door, you know what that telegraphs to our children? Well, we needed something else to be happy. We needed just one more thing, but we'll finally get there. If maybe the Amazon man shows up tomorrow, we'll be happy then. I wonder if we could be content, not because of what we have, but because of who has us. We ought to be teaching our children what it is to be satisfied. Look at all the things that God has given you. When you have wells you didn't dig, and houses that you didn't fill, and vineyards you didn't plant, May we be thankful to God for giving us all of these things. We are to be a schooling place. Our home is to be a satisfied place. Thirdly, it is to be a sincere place. Notice in verse number 16. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted Him in Massa. Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess it in the good of the land which the Lord uh, sware unto thy fathers, to cast out all the enemies from before thee as the Lord hath spoken. And when thy son asketh thee in the time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, O son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, 
And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and sore upon Egypt, uh, Egypt and, and Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord, God, uh, Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as He hath commanded us. Now here the, the reference is made to a place called Massa. That is a place where the children of Israel, when wandering in the wilderness, they came to a place and they got thirsty. All of them began to clamor and began to complain. And they said, Moses, you've brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us. We don't have anything to drink. And besides that, all the cattle, we don't, don't have anything to drink. Have you ever thought where the cattle came from? By the way, they're, they're not just wild cattle out there in the wilderness. They were spoiled from Egypt. And they said, oh, well, all the blessings God has given us, God's not going to sustain us to keep our blessings. You brought us out here to kill us. It came to the point where the Bible says that the people thought to stone Moses. And Moses came to God and said, what are we going to do? These people, they don't, they don't trust you. And they don't follow me. What are we going to do? God told Moses to take his rod and smite a rock. And God produced there water for them. The name Masa literally means waters of strife. They strove with Moses and they strove with God, yet God gave them water. And verse 16 says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted Him in Masa. Remember that time when you didn't trust God? When you didn't realize that if He brought you out, He's trying to bring you to. That's the way He works. Did you notice that? He brought them out of Egypt so that He might bring them to the promised land. And the Bible says, you just didn't trust God. You were there, you've been feeding on manna, you've been following this cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, and yet you came to the point where you said, you know what, this faith life, this day by day following God, this just is not for me. And so, they began to question, they began to complain. Here was a people who had been brought out by God and not living a life of faith for God. Their hearts reveal what was truly important to them. Their next bite to eat and their next drink of water. That's all that mattered. And that's as far as they could see. The next meal. Here's what God wants for our homes. He wants our homes to be a place that teaches faith. Building a home will not be easy, especially in the day in which we live. But parents need to stop using this day in which we live stuff as an excuse. Amen. That's a cop out. Yes, it's always been hard to raise kids. It was hard for the prodigal son's father to raise kids. It's always been hard to raise kids. But we have God Almighty on our side, and greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. It is hard to raise kids, but it is not impossible to raise kids. The problem is, our kids look in our homes and see a lack of daily faith. No talking about the Lord. No acknowledgement about the Lord. No trust in Him at all. 
We don't speak of Him at all. And in this way, we're insincere. We have a sort of pseudo-Christianity. A counterfeit Christianity. Fake faith. We put on when we go to church that everything's fine. But we go home and we start to worry and stress out about everything in the world. This is not a sincere life. A, A sincere Christian comes to church and sings, All to Jesus I surrender. And then lives that way the rest of the week. But what we have is we have parents that come to church hoping that that's the, the, the duct tape and the splint that gets their children through high school. Church ain't going to fix your kids. What you need is you need a home that teaches your children what it is to live for God and love Him. Sincere homes. David said, Thou desirest truth, sincerity in the inward parts. We are so fake so often. You see, a lot of times couples come out of homes and they act like they've got everything together. And the husband that would never scream at his wife at dinner. And the wife that would never shout expletives at her husband at dinner. Go home and do the very same thing. They shout and they scream, they yell. And they cuss. Friend, that is not Christianity. Christianity behaves the same way at the dinner table at Chili's as it does around the dinner table at home. You should not be more civil in public than you are in in the privacy of your home. The quality of your Christianity is not defined by how you behave in public. It's defined by how you behave in the privacy of your own home. Nobody else is around you but those that are closest to you. Those that know you the best, it's in those moments that you live for God. That is sincere Christian living. And our home ought to be filled with Christians that are sincerely living for God. So it ought to be a schooling place, a satisfied place, a sincere place. And fourthly, I'm not able to count, uh, fourthly, a sheltered place. A sheltered place. Look in verse number 1 of chapter 7. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them, neither shalt thou make any marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto thy son, nor his daughter thou shalt thou not take unto thy son. For they will turn away their son, thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly." Here the Bible instructs the children of Israel when they go in and they come to all these confrontations to cast these people out of their promised land, to get rid of them, don't don't abide with them, don't put them to tribute, don't make relationships with them, don't intermarry between them. Because if you make compromise in that day, you will be you will live with the consequences forever. You make compromises now, your son will make compromises much greater in the future. I want you to skip down to verse 22. Now this whole chapter kind of speaks around the same subject matter. Verse number 22, And the Lord thy God will put out those nations from before thee 
by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee, and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings into thine hands, and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Verse 26 is very important. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine... What's that next word there? House. Lest thou be cursed like it, but thou shalt utterly detest it. Thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. God is very concerned with what is in your home. Very concerned. He says to these people, when you get into the land, I want you to drive out these enemies. I'm going to deliver them to you as long as you'll live by faith. As long as you'll trust me. They're greater than you. They're greater in number. They're greater in might. They're greater in power. But you need to trust me. I will deliver them unto you. Little by little. Day by day. One decision at a time. You stay faithful. You keep following me. And I will deliver them to to you. And then he says, but when you do this, there will be a temptation to walk into the camp of the Jebusites. And see there an idol laying on the ground. That same idol that was unable to deliver them to you. uh, Now I've beaten him. And there's going to be a temptation. And somebody's going to want to take that idol. And they're going to take it home and put it on the mantle right above the fireplace. He says, don't do it. Because there's some things that do not belong in the Christian's home. Your home ought to be a sheltered place. Your kids go off to war every single day. They do it when they leave for school. They hop on the school bus. They get out at the car park there to go into their school. They are going into battle. When they come home, they need a little R&R. They ought not have to be fighting the temptations that are present at school at home. You say, I don't want my kids to be sheltered. They don't even want to be sheltered. Friend, the next time it is 105 degrees in Texas, thrust your kids out into the heat and see how much they want shelter. Everybody wants shelter. Everybody needs shelter. It's just we don't like the idea of our kids not knowing everything about the world. You say, Brother Andrew, I don't want my children to be ignorant of the devil's devices. Yeah, I don't want my children to be ignorant of the devil's devices either. But I don't have to be the delivery driver that backs up the truck and dumps it on them. Our home is to be a sheltered place. The abominations of this world have no place on the mantelpieces of Christians' homes. We put the Bible on the coffee table and the world on the TV. It doesn't make sense. Did you know that it is said that the average American child, 8 to 12 years old, spends 4 hours and 45 minutes on a device daily? Intaking media. Parent, let me ask you, when's the last time you spent 4 hours and 45 minutes of uninterrupted time with your child? Yet media does it every single day. Every day. 
A teenager increases to an average time of 7 hours and 22 minutes, not including schooling time. This is just them and their private times being on media. TikTok is a better friend to your children than you are in most cases. See, I don't like the way this is going. We have got to clean our homes. We have got to shelter our children. You say, I just don't want to protect them that way. Why not? What is wrong with protecting our children? We wouldn't set them out in the world, cover them with, with blood and say, Hey, coyotes, come get them. We would never do that. Yet we send them to the world every day and say, Do whatever you want with my child. Protect them. Shelter them. Create an environment of peace and safety in your homes. You you say, "I, I don't want to shelter my child. Everyone needs shelter. Everyone. Proverbs 24 verse 3 says, Through wisdom and house is builded. And by understanding it is established. Your home needs to be a protected place. Did you know that in 2020, Disney projected a budget for the year 2024. They plan to spend 8 to $9 billion creating media for just Disney+. This is how bad it's gotten. Okay, and I'm not here to criticize Disney. I mean, it's probably not the most godly thing in the world, but, but you can come to your own opinions on that. What I am saying is, Disney is spending $8 billion to educate your child. And I just wonder, how many times is Disney going to have their first homosexual character? You ever notice that? We've had this first homosexual character 13 times now, and it's always a news article. Eight to nine billion dollars. How much are you spending to educate your child? How much time are you spending with your child? We've got to shelter our children, protect our homes. From time to time, you might go into a home. And I am by no means an expert on septic systems, but you'll go into a home and there will be just an off-putting smell. And then you may go into your bathroom and you'll see that what you've been flushing out of your commode has backed up into your home. Now it's coming out of the sinks, and it's coming out of the bathtub uh, drain. It's, it's coming out of everywhere. What should be going out is, be, is coming back in. No person in their right mind, whether Christian or non-Christian, goes into that home and is like, Boy, what an air freshener. <laughs> this is pleasant. Why? Because there's some things that are better left out of our homes than in them. And Christians, what we need to do is we need to take a real hard look at our homes and flush the stuff that doesn't belong anymore. God is not pleased with what some of our children are being exposed to. God is not pleased with it. And we have to come to Him and beg for His help to raise children in an apostate and wicked day And the way that we can do that is by sheltering our homes and being sincere believers, living a life of sincerity before God, teaching them to be satisfied with what we have and that we don't always need to be chasing the the cheese in the middle of the maze, but we have what God has given us and we need to teach them to live for God and love Him.
God's given us a guidebook to raise families. It's not broken. It still works. The choice is yours as to whether you'll read the guidebook.